0: Welcome. Thank you all for being here today. It's great to uh, be worshiping with uh, friends and family and uh, some guests today. So welcome. I'm glad that you've come to to worship with us and to uh, celebrate our Lord together. Um, We have been going through the books of the Bible, um, uh, one book at a time, through the Old Testament. And today we are in 2 Kings, um, and then we will be transitioning. We'll hear... Uh, from Justin on video a little bit later about a series that's coming up. But t- today we are in 2 Kings. And as you read through the book of 2 Kings, many of you have reading plans. And there are certain books of the Bible that you get to that are a little harder to engage with. And that may be very well the case of 2 Kings. Uh, 1 Kings uh, is a story that we hear uh, about some some characters that... We're familiar with. We may have heard before. We hear of Samuel, and we hear of of Saul and King David, and there are some grand stories in there. And it's easy to kind of follow and meet these characters and and these and hear their story and see how they react and how God's working. And then we, we go further back and we hear in the book uh, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. Before that we were looking in Judges and Ruth and, and, and all those. We are hearing stories about people that we can kind of engage with. Well what happens in Second Kings is well, we meet a couple of prophets at the beginning. We only meet Elijah for a chapter or so. Then we meet his protege, Elisha. And these are the prophets of God. And then we hear about these kings. And we hear about a lot of kings. There'll be northern kings and southern kings. And uh, almost all of them will be doing terrible things. And there's this mantra that keeps going over and over. is They, they did evil just like they would name the kings before them. and And, and the kingdom would be falling apart. And so... You know, you read that a couple of times, and you're engaged, but after a while, you're kind of like, okay, here's another one, here's another one, and these all represent anywhere from three months to 40 years all in one chapter, and you kind of keep going through it over and over again, and it just gets kind of redundant, and uh, it's such, we're just skipping over so much history. There's not much story in it, and I don't think that's uh, by accident, you want something to happen in 2 Kings because the children of Israel keep doing what's wrong. The kings keep doing what's wrong. And you desire desperately from a break from that. Something different. As you get through, you're like, anything. And as we'll see at the end of the story, all of the children, both the northern and the southern kingdom, are now in exile they have gotten so bad they can't even be in the land of the promise anymore, and at least you have that. So as we look at the book of Kings, we're going to see several things. We're going to see the decline of the kings, uh, and we'll see a bunch of evil kings. And these kings, so they they would set up idols outside of Solomon's. Temple. Do you remember as we we talked last week about this ornate temple inside that was covered in gold on the inside? There was the presence of God. There were cherubim beside these big gold cherubim. And it was just this beautiful ornate place meant for the worship of God, the presence of God there, his ministers in and out. Uh, people offering sacrifice, but these evil kings began to worship the other gods, and they even built up idols right outside the doorsteps of God's temple. And and it got worse and worse. They would have, they built houses on the sides of the temple for male prostitutes. They sacrificed children Outside of the temple. It was horrible. It was the antithesis of the worship of the one God, all the other gods, and worshiping in these vile, just the opposite of the holy God inside the temple. When, when God sent the children of Israel into the promised land, his warning was, just don't become like the people in the land. Keep these laws. Keep this worship. And what have they done? Their worship, the center point of the worship of Judah in the city of Jerusalem, is full of worship of all kinds of gods. And king after king gets reprimanded for this. At the very beginning, we learn about Elijah and Elisha. Elijah, he's the prophet of carried over from 1 Kings. And Elisha is going to hand off the, the prophetic ministry to Elisha. And as they get ready for this, Elisha makes this strange request, a kind of bold request. He says to Elijah, I would like to have your powers, your miraculous powers by two. That's pretty bold, isn't it? And Elijah says, I don't know if God will grant that to you, but if you see me going up into the heavens, then you'll know that 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 gift has been given to you as well and been given in double measure. And so uh, God gives Elijah this beautiful send-off where Elijah doesn't have to die, but he is taken up in chariots into heaven, and we never see him again which is awesome, right, for Elijah. And Elisha goes, this is good news for me. Because Elisha then is given double the amount of power that Elijah was given. And so Elisha, although there there are seven stories about Elijah's miracles, there are 14 stories of Elisha's. You kind of get the idea here. The writer is saying, look, this is what happened. Elisha has these powers. And so the prophet stood as this conduit for the word of God to speak against the king's to still keep the people of God connected with, with their God. But even these prophets, as we see in Elisha, he starts doing these miracles that seem to have little value for the advancement of God's kingdom. One of the, one of the miracles he did was he, he touched a stick to the water so that an axe head that had fallen in would rise to the top. And so even the, the prophetic gifts seem to not be helpful in carrying out the kingdom work and drawing people back to the things of God. The whole nation is falling in ruin. And so you have to ask in that time, what is God up to? In chapter 17, we see that Israel has sinned so much against God that now they are taken away into exile. Then we see a few chapters later in chapter 25 that now Judah, the southern kingdom, is taken away into exile. Jerusalem is sacked. The temple is destroyed. All the, the gold inside is ripped off. The, the cherubim are cut in pieces and carted away. It seems as if everything is fallen apart. And so there's a question we have to ask. Why is this? Seems pretty obvious. Children of Israel did wrong. And now they're suffering the consequences. But there's more to the story. Today I'd like us to look at three of these kings. Hezekiah, Josiah, and Jehoiakim. Hezekiah is, is one of the kings who does right in the sight of God. And so Hezekiah is the king in Jerusalem, and as he's serving his king, there is the Assyrian king who's come to invade and take over the land. So Hezekiah, what does he do? He calls the people back to God, and then in chapter nineteen, verses seventeen through nineteen, it says this: Hezekiah prays out, "Truly, O Lord, the king of Assyria, have la- the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands, and have." Cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from His hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. The king had come, he sent his general, and they began to talk about their plans by the outsides of the wall. And they spoke in Hebrew so the people on the walls could understand what nasty things that the army was going to do to them. They even went to the general and said, please, when we're negotiating, please don't speak in our language so the people aren't scared. They said, that's why we're doing it. And so they continue to talk and made them afraid. And so there became a a great upheaval. Hezekiah says, no, no, we're going to end this moment when things are so confusing, when everything seems lost. We're going to call out to our God and humble ourselves. And God hears Hezekiah's prayer. And as the children of Israel, weak as they were, are sitting inside the city of Jerusalem, the angel of the Lord comes and destroys the armies of the king of Assyria. And so they are wiped out and they are chased back. And once the king gets back home, his own sons kill him. We're like, okay, this is good, right? Like, if we will just obey God, this is the message. If you will just obey God, if you will humble, humble yourself and trust in the Lord, then everything's going to be all right. But then, you turn a few more chapters over and you see the story of Josiah. And so, for many of you, if you hear the names Josiah and Hezekiah, and you Old Testament scholars are like, these are good kings. Josiah is one of these really good kings as well. And as a young man, he seeks to restore the temple. He destroys the the worship of other gods, knocks down their altars. There's nothing you can say bad against Josiah. And so he has them clean up the temple and restore that which was on the walls. And he has them prepare the temple so it will be a place of worship again. And as they're working in the temple, they find the scrolls that describe what God is required of them. So Josiah says, bring me the scrolls. And he has someone read the scrolls to him. They, they, he reads our Old Testament. He, the, the Old Testament that had been written, the laws of, of Moses, and so as he's, the, 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 man, the priest is reading it, Josiah becomes overwhelmed because he compares the word of God to their practices and realizes they've fallen off so badly. And he begins to rip his clothes and begins to weep because the people of God are not like the people of God. And how can you expect anything but for them to be lost? So Josiah leads the people of God to return to their Lord. And then Josiah goes out and meets with other kings before the battle, and they murder him on the plains. And that's the end of Josiah. Wait, wait a minute. Like, you know, as you read the stories you always hear, then the king did this, and because it was so bad, then he was killed. Or are there other kings that come and say, just give me another chance, and God is generous, and, and, and he gives them another chance. But not Josiah. Josiah did nothing wrong. It looked like the kingdom may be turning around, and what happens to Josiah? He gets mowed down on the plains. No fanfare. The city of Jerusalem is sacked. The temple is destroyed. The people are in exile. And you have to go, what? That doesn't seem fair. What is God up to? I don't know about you, but in these moments that we're facing, we have to be saying, what is God up to? Things don't seem to be making sense. We have to ask, what for? And why? And I want to tell you, the answers are not coming that easily. <laughs> you know, for some, they might look at tea leaves. Others may look at their horoscopes to find out what the future holds, pre- what is the present. Some would be chicken little and say, always say the sky is falling. Others will be putting their heads in the sand, right, like an ostrich, hoping it will just all go away. But the people of God are not like that. God has not left us like that. He has given us a way to understand and discern the times. And if you open up to the very middle of your Bible, you can find, you can find the answers there. I mean, literally, open up to the middle of your Bible. There we find Hebrew wisdom literature. You have, uh, you have the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. You have the book of Job. All these are very helpful for understanding the world around us. So we, we come together as the people of God. I'm glad you're here. We come together as the people of God, and, and we're not just watching what's happening on TV, right, to understand what's going on in the world, but we look for something that's much, much better to discern what's happening around us because the Word of God is, is living, and it's powerful, and it's true. It helps us understand what, the, what is happening in our world and helps us to understand our God, and in understanding our God, we understand ourselves better. So we look in, when you look at the book of Proverbs, the Proverbs say, if you do this, if you do this right action, this blessing will come to you, right? Or if you do this wrong thing, then this is the... This is what's going to happen. And so they are Proverbs. They're telling us what happens in life. When you do good and when you do bad, this is the result. Here's the wise way to live. And so you can see that's happening all in the book of 2 Kings. You have have kings that are doing evil, and they are getting the repercussions of it. You're seeing a good king, Hezekiah. He does does what is right. And what happens? He gets blessings. And then you see Josiah. Wait a minute. That doesn't quite work, does it? That doesn't seem like a proverb what happened to Josiah. Something not right is happening there. How can that be? How can you do what's good and yet get maybe a bad result? How can you, how can you maybe be faithful in your sphere and the world around you fall apart? Well, that's the book of Job, isn't it? The book of Job is this guy who did all things right. In this world, it seemed, there was nothing you could say bad against him. But his life fell apart in a major way. He didn't know what was up. His neighbors all thought it was because of the Proverbs, right? They would say, you know, you did this. And in fact, all these different friends that come to him are representations of different modes and ways of thinking of the people around them. They're blaming him for all the stuff that's happening. Because you did this, this is what happens to you. And he says, I didn't do those things. I don't know why these things are happening, but they're happening. And it's not because I did something wrong. And it's not because I'm, so, uh, I'm such a bad guy. And the truth is, all of these things were happening not because he had done something right or wrong, but because God had a bigger story in, in play, uh, in play." And so we read in in Job chapter 12, verse 23, that God makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. That the nations, both Judah and Israel, are in God's hands. And so is Assyria. And so is Babylon. And so is the United States. We We are in God's hands. He makes nations great and he makes them fall apart. It's according to his will and according to his way. And when Paul looked back at the book of Exodus and he looked back on the story of Pharaoh, how Pharaoh continued to harden his heart towards the things of God. In Romans 9:17, he said, Paul reflects on Exodus 9:16 and says, For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I have raised you up, I have raised Pharaoh up for the very purpose of showing my power in you so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So the rise and fall of Pharaoh had little to do with Pharaoh, but had all to do with God's glory. So when we look at the world around us, and it doesn't make sense, and things don't add up, and they don't fit the scales of even right and wrong that we think they should, there's something greater at play. Than our one thread within the tapestry. That God is working in great and grand ways. So to make Second Kings even a little more interesting, not only do we have Josiah, who is a good king, the bad things happen to, but we we learn that once they are in exile, that there is a king, the last king of of Judah, and his name is Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim is in jail, and after some years, the king calls Jehoiakim to come and eat at the table of the king for the rest of his days. It's kind of a weird way to end a book, isn't it? And then it ends just like that. But now, if we look at through the lens of Scripture and we see how God works, don't you see that God has not given up on His people? Where this guy who ought to be a slave in jail. He should be, he's an opposing king. With other kings, they plucked out their eyes or they killed them. They did terrible things to him. But Jehoiakim gets to eat at the table of the king even though he's an opposed king. How can that happen? It can happen because God is the one who raises up nations and destroys them. He is the God who will get glory and be worshipped among the nations. So Israel, it's as if he's saying, God's not done with you yet. Just wait. There's a king. The promises of David are going to come true. There's a king. There's a king that's coming. And the good news for us today woo, is the king has come. The king has come. They, they couldn't know at the, at the writing of second kings what that king would look like. They just, they just knew with our God There is hope. And that Jesus did come, and he's coming again for you and me. So as our lives seem to be falling apart in our country, as there seems to be division, as it seems like it makes no sense the way things are going, as we are not sure of our future, the good news is Jesus is coming back for his people and that we serve a sovereign God who's working in our circumstances, in our world, a providential work that will see its end in the return of the king. And so in the meantime, walk humbly with our Lord. Walk humbly with our Lord, Josiah. Be like King Josiah. Seek his way, seek his will. Be ready to confess and, and make others' interests more important than our own. Psalm 22 27, through 20, 22, 27 through 28 says this All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Be humble trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey let's pray Lord that was a lot of chapters you put on us today we thank you Lord that you are sovereign over all and you're working and we can trust you and that you are good Lord sometimes we just have to admit this is too much for us. I know many people come in here today and they're tired and the arguing, the bickering and the uncertainty and when will things get back to normal? And so Lord, today we take a minute to rest. We take a minute to seek your bigger purpose. We recognize we don't have to know all the answers but we have to know you. And so, Lord, we are satisfied with that today. Let us trust and obey. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.